0: From India's Largest Newsroom, I'm Arun George, and this is the Times of India podcast. A video has surfaced showing the Dalai Lama kissing a minor boy and then proceeding to ask him
1: to suck his tongue. The Dalai Lama has apologised after outrage over a video of him kissing a child on the lips and asking him to suck his tongue.
2: An interaction between the Dalai Lama and a boy earlier this month made headlines after outrage over whether the Tibetan spiritual leader had acted inappropriately with the child. In the end, the controversy seemed to blow over after the Dalai Lama apologised for his behaviour. Mythologist and author Devdath Patnaik says that outrage over the phrase Suck my tongue that was used by the Dalai Lama may be misplaced given it has a different connotation in Tibetan culture. In today's episode, Devdath is in conversation with my colleague Jairaj Singh and me about how various religions and cultures view the tongue. In Islam, multiple slips of the tongue could decide where you end up in the afterlife. In Hinduism, the goddess Kali has a blood-soaked tongue which is a symbol of our battle against evil. And in Christianity, a person speaking in tongues can either be a good or a bad thing. We started by talking about the outrage over the incident involving the Dalai Lama. David, while we are not getting into the entire incident itself,
0: um, the Dalai Lama's gesture of sticking his tongue out it is not like viewed as a symbol of like, uh, you know, being rude or something, right?
1: See, whenever somebody does a behavior that doesn't make sense to you, uh, we have two choices in front of us. One is to quickly jump into judgment, uh, assuming that we understand everything, or two is to pause and wonder why does a person behave in a strange way. Um, In today's time, of course, what is easier and what is most indulgent to your ego and makes you feel superior is to jump into judgment. But think about it. In a public forum, an old man is taking out his tongue and telling a child to suck his tongue. Um, Why would he do that? Um, It's a very strange thing. And here is a man whose English is not perfect. What is he trying to do? I mean, the first thing I would do, and that's the first thing I did, is sort of Google quickly, is there something to do with tongue and Tibetan practices? And lo and behold, I just got a whole bunch of information uh, about Tibetan practices where sticking out a tongue has many different meanings. One of them, where your grandfather will say, now, um, I have nothing left with me. What do you want? Will you just eat out of my tongue? You know, this kind of a, these are local phrases. I don't have anything. I will take my jeep It's a private thing. And, you know, you just assume everybody understands your cultural um, language. So this is an incident which just reveals the kind of society we are living in right now. And we're quite silly people out there who don't want to pause and ask about cultural nuances. For me, that incident and the tongue was about cultural nuance because every culture has certain little details which the rest of the rest of the world may not find amusing or interesting, or may, you know, it may just shock people.
2: Tibetan actually had explained this whole concept of Sa, which, as you were explaining, is called "eat my tongue," which an old grandparent uh, does while offering a pop kiss to a ch- small
1: child. But do we have this form of expression? Of affection through tongue. So these metaphors are meant to be strange, right? Eat off my tongue, मेरा um, You know, um, I know that the tongue is considered to be, um, you know, jeeb ke upar My mother would always say that the greatest enemy of man is the tongue, because the tongue can twist and has a mind of its own, and it'll make you do things and say things that can destroy relationships. There's a tantric goddess called Baglamukhi. Um, who is? If you look at, if you Google her image, you will find that she holds the tongue of a man and is striking him down. And I feel she's associated with the goddess of communication. She sort of twists the tongue of a man um, who sort of speaks the wrong thing or makes the wrong utterance. Um, in mythology, there are stories of Saraswati sitting on the tongue or leaving the tongue of a being so that they don't ask the right boon. For example, Kumbhakarna when he was about to ask a boon and he was very strong and he was about to ask Indrasan or the throne of Indra. But then Saraswati leaves his tongue, we are told. And he, instead, she he says, Nidrasan, which is the bed. And therefore, Kumbhakarna goes to sleep. Instead of conquering Indra's throne, he goes to sleep because of a slip of a tongue. And therefore, the tongue has been given a lot of importance in uh, mythology.
2: It's funny you say this because it immediately strikes me with that expression, um, Tongue, which is you know I
1: give, I give my tongue yes,
2: which which is also very violent in nature if you think of it,
1: so it's such an important phrase in India, right? in in a in a non uh, where you didn't have contracts in a time when you didn't have written documentation, the only thing you depended on is the word or the jaban. In
0: Indian mythology, when it comes to the tongue, the most prominent character we associate. Immediately is the goddess Kali. Why do we have every image of her with her tongue sticking out?
1: So it's very interesting in the 19th century when the British asked this question. It also depends, you know, who asked the question and who is answering the question. So when the British asked these questions to the Bhadralok of uh, Bengal, they obviously were terrified and had to give a proper answer. And they had to give an answer that will appeal. And they said, you know what, she was walking and she stepped on her husband by mistake and she bit her tongue to display her embarrassment and shame you are seeing how they are constructing a narrative where the goddess is within patriarchal folds because you bite the tongue because you're so embarrassed you stepped on your husband. He completely ignores the story of Rakthabij where the goddess spreads her tongue on the battlefield and drinks every drop of blood of a demon called Raktabij, who can sprout and duplicate himself with every drop of the blood that falls on the ground. So that's why she stuck her tongue out. She stuck her tongue out to drink the blood and prevent a monster from replicating itself. That's the original story which you find in the Purans. The idea of a sticking a tongue sticking out is seen in Medusa images, in Roman and Greek uh, iconography, in a maid sticking out the tongue at you and mocking you. The goddess Kali, you know, look at her form. She has no, Her hair is disheveled. She has no clothes. She's be- bedecking herself with the body parts, entrails, hands, limbs of men. She's obviously trying to make a statement and then she sticks out her tongue. There is something more deeper happening over there. Uh, and not a woman embarrassed by stepping on her husband's body. If you approach these subjects by understanding the iconography, understanding the symbols in that culture, um, understanding what is tra- they're trying to communicate, what are the stories that are associated One of the things that is offered in uh, Kali temples is the hibiscus flower. The hibiscus or joba is supposed to be the tongue of the goddess. You could look at the tongue as a sexual organ and um, read it in a tantric, sensual, sexual way which will horrify some of the Puritans. Like an incident, cultural context has to be appreciated.
2: You've also written extensively on, on Tantric culture. Uh, where does How
1: does the tongue feature there? Um, so the uh, tongue in uh, Tantric culture is associated with uh, sex, sexuality, gender, desire. Um, it is one of the organs through which we express ourselves. Um, you know, um, how you hold your tongue on the upper upper palate is a very important ritual tantric ritual to connect the nadis of your body um, the way you stick it out whether you put it on the left side of your mouth whether you put it on the right side of the mouth all these things have certain meanings you know it's also associated with saliva and which is a body fluid and therefore in tantra body fluids a lot of importance Um, so it plays a very important role Um, uh, role in the tantric space. You don't find this in the uh, traditional Vedic space. Although, you know, there is a Vedic story of a goddess called, not a goddess, but a uh, spirit called Dirgajeevi. And some people believe that she is uh, kind of an early form of Kali. The tongues of fire have been given different names. And one of the tongues of fire is called Kali. And there is also the story of this uh, character called Dirgajeevi, who sort of would stretch her tongue and lick the soma pots before they could be offered to the gods in effect she would make it juta, and therefore the gods wouldn't accept it perhaps it refers to dogs who would lick the offerings made for the gods and therefore dogs are despised because they have this lolling tongue outside all the time and they're licking food and they're they keep licking things right in Hinduism especially the dog was considered inauspicious but in Tantric tradition the dog with its tongue is considered auspicious and associated with Bhairava Bhairavi in fact in in terms of um, Dirghajivi stories we are told that in order to control her this Dirghajivi the long tongued demoness Indra sends um, one of his companions and he seduces her. And we are told that she has 10 sexual organs. And so again, you see this long tongue linked to 10 sexual organs and therefore hypersexuality of a person. There is this kind of a sexuality associated with the mouth, with the tongue. What you cannot show below the navel, you express the mouth. You know, the idea of um, uh, the teeth in the mouth, the tongue in the mouth, the tongue giving pleasure, the teeth causing pain. In a way, uh, one can expand and use the imagination. So it is talking about sexual organs. Uh, and of course, the Dalai Lama belongs to... Tibetan Buddhism and he never talks about it but Vajrayana Buddhism has a very strong sexual component and I notice that the um, Dalai Lama very consciously stays away from the tantric practices of Buddhism and focuses on the more um, Western approved Buddhism, which is a nineteenth-century colonial construct, he always talks about these and doesn't talk about the tantric traditions, the Vajrayana traditions, the Mahayana traditions, the kind of a yabyum images of male and female, and in a way, in you know, a heruka and the yoginis. have never, at least, I am not familiar with him talking about it. Why, why,
2: why do you
1: think that's so? It's uh, the uh, when he moved out of Tibet and he came to uh, Delhi, he's to deal with the international PR, and he knows that people don't understand these practices. These practices are um, something that are very difficult to explain because they're metaphorical, highly metaphorical, creative visualization which use extremely violent and sexual imagery. You've got a puritanical West out there, and in a way, he has paid the price for it, right? Because he has projected himself in the puritanical form which is acceptable to a very Christian society, right? Um, the, you know, this whole notion and we keep we must remember that um you know uh, in Christianity sex is sin and anything sexual is sinful. And right in Buddhism the earliest images of the Buddha show him single, but in the tantric Buddhism Buddha is a bodhisattva with multiple arms surrounded by dakinis yoginis, taras, and sometimes in sexual positions. Quite explicit sexual positions if you go to some of the monasteries in the Bhutan, in Sikkim, in Nepal, in Tibet. And I never see the Dalai Lama talking about it, the Tibetan mythology, and never—at least I've never heard him, you know, discuss that. You know, they—they'll always try to downplay it without realizing these are very important ideas, and that's what defines Tibetan myth. Buddhism. So in a way, in trying to appeal to the West puritanical nature, you don't realize what you're doing, right? There, are, The female form is not acknowledged. The fact is Buddhism, the women have always been kept at a lower position. And sex is something evil. Suddenly the whole world thinks sex is evil because some group of Christians believe that sex is evil. In Christianity, sex is sin. And when you go to heaven, the world is a sexless place. You know, The whole heaven is, there's nothing sexual about it. But in Islam, God forgives humanity from the crime and sex is not a sin. And in fact, the angel Gabriel is supposed to have supported and enabled Adam and Eve to have sexual relations and have proper sexual relations to the point that the heaven is described in sensual terms, and therefore we hear about these 72 virgins and all these Noomur and Hoor and fountains, and it's a very sensual place full of fountains and gardens. And then there's a Buddhist way where sexuality and violence is actually used. Imagine Buddhism, which we always associated with the calm, composed Buddha, has images of Heruka and uh, you know Padmapani and Vajrapani and all these images of very sensual looking in Ajanta Elora, you find the sensual Buddhists Im- emerging and by the time it reaches Tibet, you have the sexual imagery, and nobody talks about it. And when you don't talk about it, you'd, uh, you know, sort of, in a way, align with the puritanical agenda of the world, the Victorian agenda of the world. And I think in a way, uh, the uh, Dalai Lama has paid a price for trying to appease to Western puritanism.
0: Also, did that in some forms of Christianity, that practice of speaking in tongues is a major thing where, um, you know, it's considered, depending on which uh, denomination you're in, it's either a sign of being possessed, or you're talking to God directly. Um, You know, do, do other faiths have this kind of view on this sort of speaking in unidentifiable languages? Does it have that sort of value in any other religion?
1: It's a very unique thing and I think it got amplified only in the 19th century. From what I know in the history of Christianity, if you study the speaking in tongues as an idea, becomes popular somewhere in the 19th century and really gains traction in America, not in the rest of the world. So it's not like an ancient practice. All the... um, Um, evangelists are like and they get you know uh, they see God and God is telling them to spread the good word now how do you spread the good word you have to go to different lands and they start speaking in tongues at that time because and if nobody can understand what they're saying and uh, they say that maybe they're speaking the language A of God or the language of angels or the language of demons or languages of people of the lands they will go to. These are all ideas, but this idea of speaking in tongues, really babbling and um, not being able to understand other languages um, is a a very strong story in the Old Testament. This bab babbling from Babel. That's the idea which comes and then gradually that because the New Testament is supposed to reflect everything which happens in the Old Testament, you have the idea of the Pentecost and you have the idea of speaking in tongues. And as I said, this idea becomes important when Christianity goes to America because it's going to a strange land where everything is strange and you find many innovative things happening in America with reference to Christianity. One of them, of course, being the Pentecostal movement, one of them being speaking in tongue. So I think um, these are the new forms of Christianity that emerged. And they were really talking. The tongue was sort of manifesting itself to spread the good word. Uh, I think that sort of connects it with this idea of communication again. And the tongue being the communication tool. And even talking to people who don't speak your language via the medium of the divine.
0: Uh, With Islam, one thing is that even over there, the tongue is said to be something that is your in a sense your gateway into heaven because it decides whether you've said the right things in your lifetime or not. Do we have that with other faiths as well? So
1: um, in Islam speech is very important. How do you declare that you are a Muslim? You have the Shahada, you have make a declaration which is an oral declaration. It's not assumed, it's not symbolic, it's not performative. Uh, you have to say it. You have to say that, um, you know, God is great. There is only one God. No God but God. And God is great. And Muhammad is his final prophet. You have to say it. Even after you die, there are the angels who come and sit on your shoulders and check. Will you say it? Will you say it? Will you say it? And then you sort of say what you've done right and what you've done wrong. And then you apologize. The whole thing is very legal, oral, expressed, communicated. Uh, and therefore I think the jab, uh, the jaban or the tongue takes such an important place because it is through the tongue that you establish your Islamic identity and how um, you know whether you follow haram or halal and that will define whether you go to jannat or jahannam so the, it's a very important part of the theological process um, in a way you could say is uh, you know it's like confession which was important in the church confession was also important in Buddhist mon- monastic orders it's also there in Jain monastic orders where you confess because what you do in privacy, I can never know, right? And therefore you have to confess and you have to say it. And I think tongue here is for communication, saying it. It's so I think the mouth and the tongue is about the voice. It's about consumption. It is about so many things. It is at one level about a communicating tool. Another level, it's a consumer a consumption tool. At another level, it's a symbolism of your genital organs uh, and pleasure. So I think all that comes together when you talk about the tongue,
2: Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunai Marathe, and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas, and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on Plus, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at podcast at timesinternet.in.